We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. Ephesians 4 is where we're going to be spending our time for the, the majority of the sermon. Um, and we've been in, like Chris said earlier, we've been in this series called Defining the Relationships and looking at all the different types of relationships in our lives and how we keep Christ first in those relationships. Um, and today we're going to move out of like specific relationships and move into like some, some general principles or helps for us in having Christ-like um, relationships. And so today we want to talk about communication. Communication is key. And uh, Paul's going to address this for us here in Ephesians 4, verses 25 through 32. It's where we're going to land this morning. So, um, there was a, a married couple once that got into a fight, got into a quarrel, and they ended up uh, giving each other the silent treatment, right? I know nobody in here knows what that is, okay? But like some people I've heard do that. So, they start giving each other the silent treatment, and like two days into the argument, the man realized um, that he was in trouble because he needed his wife's help with something. And, um, and so he didn't want to be the one to break the silence first. And so he took a little piece of paper and he wrote a little note. And he said, hey, please wake me at 5 a.m. And he left the note on her pillow and he went to bed. Next morning, he wakes up to realize it's 9 a.m. Uh, he has missed his flight. He is still in bed and things are not uh, as they should be. So he's furious. And he gets up, goes to look for his wife and tell her, what's up, and as he gets up, he sees another note next to his bed, and it says, it's 5 a.m., wake up. Uh, communication is crucial, right, to relationships, and uh, when it's not there, it causes all kinds of problems, and so uh, we need to learn how to do it well, how to do it Christ-like, and, um, and it becomes part of this. It can either, communication it can help us, it can hurt us, it can build us up, it can tear us down, and, um, but we have to have it for relationships. Relationships don't work without it. So as believers, how can we put Christ first in our relationship through right, godly communication? That's what we want to look at this morning. Here's your main idea. God-glorifying relationships require Christ-like communication. God-glorifying relationships require Christ-like communication. So let's look at what Paul has to say here in Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 25. He says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So four principles for communication this morning. First one is this, be honest. Number one is be honest. Now, before we dive into verse 25, I want to get some context here. We always want to know where we're at and what we're dealing with when we, when we come to Scripture, right? So this section in my Bible is labeled the new life. We've got a little, little heading up above it. Yours might be similar. Yours might be different. But in this section, if we look at just a couple verses before 25 and verses like 23 through 24, Paul is telling Christians, he's telling the church how to live the new life in Christ. He's like, hey, you need to put off some things 
that were the old self, that were sinful. You need to put on some things that are the new self, that are in Christ, right? He's making this, this thing, and he's telling us how to live as Jesus would. And then he goes into the explanation of that in verses 25 through 32. And what's interesting to me is seven out of those eight verses are about communication, so there's something important here about as living as Christians, as living as the church, if we're going to follow in Christ, we have to do it in a way that really is anchored in communication. Because words matter. A lot. I think we've lost the sense of how much words matter in an, er- in an age where we throw words around both verbally and in written online communication as if they're nothing. But words build identity, words build culture, and words build relationships. They're important. And God knows that. And so as followers of Christ, if we want to build relationships that reflect Him, that put Him first, how we communicate, what we say is going to be a huge part of that. Okay? So Paul's going to give us four things here. The first one is be honest. Look at verse 25. He starts off, he says, put away falsehood and speak the truth. So again, he's kind of giving us both a negative and a positive together here, right? He's like, hey, you need to put off some things. You need to put on some things. First, he says, put away falsehood. That would include lying, deceiving, manipulating, hiding information from someone, hiding the truth, withholding something, all of that would be considered falsehood. He says, put that away. There's no part of that in the person of Christ. And then he says, speak the truth. Which sounds good and sounds simple, but so often it's not. So how do we do that? How do we speak the truth in line with Christ? Well, I was looking through God's Word, and I came up with three maybe examples. One would be speak the truth of God. Right? John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. God's Word is the source of all truth. And so if we want to speak the truth, it has to come from Him. We have to affirm, we have to stand on, we have to voice God's truth alone. Not our opinions, not what we heard on Dr. Phil, not like, no, like God's truth is what we need if we're going to speak the truth to other people. Also, speaking the truth means to speak the truth with others, right? Great verse, Proverbs 27, 6 says, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Are we loving enough and bold enough to speak the truth to our friends, to our relationships, even when it's hard? what this verse is telling us is that failing to speak the truth to others is not friendly. It's not loving. It's actually fake. And it's hurtful. And it doesn't build relationships. So we have to speak the truth of God. We have to speak the truth with others. And then maybe most importantly, we have to speak the truth to yourself. James 4.1 Listen to this verse. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? That's an important question, right? Like, what causes you to get in conflict with other people? 
Here's James's answer. Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Notice he doesn't say anything about the other person. That, that conflict you're in, that problem you're having, you need to look at you first. Before I'm ready to speak the truth to anyone else, first I have to speak the truth to myself. I have to deal with my own heart, my own desires, my own passions that are coloring how I see the world. We say it like this oftentimes in marriage counseling, inspect yourself before you suspect someone else. Before you start pointing fingers at somebody else, the other side of the relationship, whatever that is, marriage or not, inspect yourself, inspect your own heart first, and then you're ready to speak truth to someone else. You know, when we think about being honest in communication, I just think about this week, like, kids are so much better at this than we are. Have you ever noticed that? Like, like they, they have not yet learned how to filter their thoughts, and so they just all come blurting out, right? Like, they just say whatever they're thinking. They're brutally honest, whether you like it or not. Like, you're in the grocery line, and they turn to the lady behind you, and like, oh, are you pregnant too? Like, don't, you don't say that, right? Like, that's not what we do, or they tell their teacher all about the fight that you and your spouse had last night, you know, like, or they're like, daddy, why do you have so many gray hairs? It's you. Like, thank you for pointing it out, but you're the, you're the reason, right? They just, they're just brutally honest with all of it, but as we get older, we start to hold back, don't we? We start to hold back. We start to shade the truth in our favor, We start to hide truths that we don't want other people to see or know. Now listen, I'm not saying that you need to tell everyone everything, okay? That's not wise either. You need to use discernment well. You don't have to be equally transparent with everyone, but you do need to be equally honest with everyone. Not everybody gets to know everything. They don't all have that level of access to your life. But whatever level of access they do have, you need to be honest with them at that level. Right? Be honest. But if we want healthy, Christ-honoring relationships, we have to speak the truth and be honest with one another. So first question for you to reflect on this morning, am I being less than honest in any of my relationships? Notice I didn't ask you, are you being honest? Because that's way too easy to be like, oh yeah, I'm an honest person. Let's do it in shades. Let's do it in a, in a sliding scale. Am I being less, any, any degree, any amount, less than honest, fully honest in any of my relationships? If, first, that's, if not, that's the first place to start. Okay, so the first one's be honest. Second principle, look at verse 26. He says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Principle number two is keep current. Keep current. So he starts off verse 26, he says, hey, be angry and do not sin. Which is such a strange sentence for most of us. Because we're like, I didn't even know that was a category. Like, I, I thought anger was sin. Like, how can you be angry and not sin? I don't think that's, I've ever experienced that, Right? But there actually is a category for this. It is possible. Sometimes it's even necessary and right for us to be angry when we see sin, when we see suffering, when we see injustice. It is right and good that we are angry about that because Christ is angry about that. 
But many of us don't have a category for that because we think about emotions as simply good or bad. Right? Happiness is good. Anger is bad. Right? But that's not that simple. Sometimes we're happy because we're in the midst of our own sin. And we're enjoying it. Is that good? No. Of course not. Sometimes we're angry because we see injustice in the world. We see a child being a a victim of war and the crossfire of the violence. And we're like, that's not right. And we're angry about that. And that's good. It's not bad. Emotions don't just fall into simple categories of good and bad. It's not about the emotions being good or bad. It's about our response to the emotions being good or bad. It's what we do with them right? It's how we proceed from that emotion. So how do we respond well to anger and not sin? Well, he tells us right here, it actually comes back to communication. He says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is one way. Now, if you've been in church very long, you've probably heard that before, and perhaps probably maybe somebody's like quoted it at you at a time when they were like, you're mad, you need to not be, so just stop that, okay? That's not super helpful all the time, um, because this can get really legalistic, right? You can't go to bed until you fix the argument. You can't let the, you you gotta do it before, you know, six o'clock or four o'clock in the Midwest in the winter or whatever the thing is, right? Like, before the sun goes down, you gotta get it fixed, and it's just not that simple. There are some conflicts, there are some arguments that are not gonna be solved in a day, right? This is not a legalistic demand that he's putting on us here. The spirit of this command is to not let anger linger in your life. Do not let it go on longer than is necessary. Deal with it as quickly as possible. Is really what he's saying here. Don't hold on to it. Don't nurse it and feed it and sulk in it and brood over it and clam up and give the silent treatment. Like, none of that. That's not the way we deal with anger rightly. We're called to deal with our anger as quickly as possible and to solve the conflict. And this is why, right? Because if we don't, he says, if we hold on to anger, we give opportunity to the devil. Now, my translation right now says opportunity. The one I grew up on said a foothold. To the devil. Some of your Christians might say, give a place to the devil. The picture really is like you opening up the door of your heart and letting Satan get a foot in the door where he has a place in your heart and in your life to bring all of these problems, all of this sin, all of this influence on you in the midst of your anger. Every time we hold on to our anger, we're giving Satan an opportunity to wreak havoc in our lives and relationships. So it's important that we deal with it quickly, that we keep current in our relationships. However, I want to just balance this for a moment here, because there is a scenario where sometimes, and some of you know exactly what I'm talking about, sometimes we speak too quickly in anger, and then we regret it later, right? Like there is a scenario where I can go at it too quick, and it creates a bigger problem as well. And so let me give you a verse here, Proverbs 29, 20 says, do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Hasty words destroy hope for healthy relationships. 
when we speak too fast, when we lash out in our anger. That's equally problematic. Proverbs 17, 27 says, Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Restrained words bring knowledge. Waiting, listening brings knowledge and understanding in our relationships. So, so the Bible talks about both. So how do I know? Right? How do I know when to speak and when to be silent? How do I know when to, to go and when to wait? Well, I just listed out here five questions with some scriptures that can help us kind of process. It's not like a perfect thing every time. Like you, I can't give you like a black and white answer to that. But you need to process through what you're thinking and feeling in the Bible and in God's word so that you know when is the right time and way to respond and get the conflict settled. All right? So five questions to ask before you speak. Number one, do I have all the facts right? Start there. Proverbs 18, 13 says, If one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and his shame. I'm mad, I'm angry about this thing that happened, and I think I know what happened, and I am pretty sure I'm right and you're wrong every time, and so, like, I want to just jump right in. But the Bible says, oh, hold on, you need to... You need to check your assumptions. You need to listen to the other side. You need to verify the story, verify the information before you jump in and start speaking. All right, so do I have all the facts right? Number two, should love cover it? 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Sometimes, I love that verse. Sometimes... Sometimes we are legitimately angry because someone has sinned against us, right? And that's okay to be angry about that. But if it's someone that we're close to, if it's someone that we're in a close relationship with, even though they have sinned against us, sometimes the answer is just to forbear that and cover it with love. Because you know what's going on at work, or you know what's happened at home, or you know, like, you know why they're lashing. This isn't their normal thing. They're lashing out because something else is going on in their heart and life, and I love them enough to just be like, you know what, I'm just going just to cover that. There's a place for that. It happens a lot in marriage. It's necessary, right? But it can happen in any relationship. Anytime you have two sinners interacting with one another, sometimes love's going to need to cover it. So should love cover it? The answer is no. If it's more than that, if it has to be dealt with, then we can go on to the next questions. Number three, is my timing right? Think about timing and communication. Proverbs 15, 23 says, To make an apt answer is a joy to a man, and a word in season, how good it is. Saying the right thing at the wrong time is rarely helpful. You're like, but what I said was right, it was true. Yes, it was. Wrong time. And now, they, now they're not going to hear it because you said it at the wrong time. Right? So when you think about timing, think about two things. One, is my heart ready to say it? Have I gotten my heart to a place where I can say this in a way that is helpful and constructive and moving it forward and not just going to put more fire on the conflict, more gas on the, on the fire of the conflict? 
So is my heart ready to say it? And secondly, is their heart and mind ready to hear it? Right? Are they in a state of mind where they can even receive what I need to say to them right now? Because if not, I'm just wasting words and it might even make it worse. So is my timing right? Number four, is my attitude right? These kind of go together a little bit. Proverbs 15, 28 says, The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer, but the mouth of the wicked pours out evil things. When you're thinking about your attitude, you have to think about, like, what's my motivation in saying this? Why do I want to fix this conflict? Why do I want to deal with this? Is it out of selfish motivations? Is it something that I want? Or I, like, is, is something sinful driving me to respond this way? Or is there truly a love and a care and a concern for this relationship and for this person that wants to get this resolved and restored the way that would honor the Lord? Can I, here's a great part of that. Can I address this issue, this conflict, this sin, whatever it is, can I address it with grace and humility? If I cannot yet address it with grace and humility, then my heart's not ready. Lastly, number five, have I prayed about it? And you're like, oh, yeah, duh. Have I sought the Lord's help? Have I just, like, Lord, help me discern. Help me to know how to deal with this, how to respond to this. Ask the Spirit to come and teach you how to proceed in this situation of the conflict, okay? Now, on a real practical note, this is one of the many ways that Courtney and I are very different, and we process and respond to things very differently. She is a verbal processor, right? That's the way she thinks. Like, she wants to just talk it out, like, immediately start processing it out loud and, and figure it out. Me, I'm an internal processor. So I need time to, like, go and sit and think and process it all by myself and get it all in the right boxes, and then I'm ready to come back and talk about it, right? And so that difference in our marriage is most combustible, when conflict arises, right? And there's something that's like eating at us and we gotta get that dealt with. And so for years, if she did something that would upset me, I would stop and I would think on it because that's kind of my default. And I would try to wrap my head around it, try to make sure I got all the facts right. And then I would say, all right, can I cover this in love? And that would be kind of my go-to, but sometimes that worked. A lot of times it didn't. And what I told myself I was covering in love, I was actually just stuffing down and just ignoring. So I didn't really want to talk about it. I didn't really want to deal with it. Right? I just wanted to move on. And then that would come out in my irritation and in my, like, in my just shortness and distance in the relationship. And it's because I didn't work through all these questions. I got through a couple of them, but my attitude was not right. And I definitely hadn't prayed about it most times. Other than like, God, can you please just fix her already? Like that was pretty much the extent of the prayers, okay? And I wasn't lashing out. I wasn't blowing up. Most people would not have looked at me and been like, oh man, he is having a problem with anger right now. But because I wasn't dealing with it, because I wasn't keeping current in our relationships it was all underneath there until finally it would just build and build and build and eventually blow up. Right? 
This is the value of keeping current. You might be on the other end of that spectrum. Maybe you're the one who lashes out all the time and too quickly, and that's your go-to. Maybe you're the one who stuffs it down. Either one is a problem because we need to keep current in the relationship by working through our own heart and our own attitudes on it and then bringing it to the table and having that conversation in a Christ-like way. So, question here, who am I still holding anger against and how can I get current with them? Maybe you're like me. Maybe you've been pushing it down for a while now. And they don't even know you're angry. It doesn't look like you're angry. Nothing's coming out. But, you, but inside, it's still there. Who are you still angry at that you need to get current with? Maybe some of you have lashed out at over and over and over again, and you need to go back and you need to ask for forgiveness and then restart the conversation. Keep current. Third principle for communication comes in verse 29. It says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up and as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Number three is attack the problem, not the person. Attack the problem, not the person. He says right here, let no corrupting talk. Right? Corrupting talk is anything that tears other people down that causes harm to someone, that perpetuates error and, and false assumptions. All of that would be corrupting talk. It could include lying, obviously. It could include gossip. It could include slander, criticizing other people, complaining even can be corrupting talk. He says none of that, no corrupting talk. Instead, only such as is good for building up. Talk that builds up, that encourages others that creates unity in the relationship that elevates the truth in all circumstances this could include praising someone for something they've done complimenting them thanking them showing gratitude showing forgiveness when there is sin all of that is going to be building others up in our communication he says no corrupting talk only build each other up that it may give grace to the hearers That's the purpose statement. The purpose of our communication with one another in times of conflict is to give grace. You know what grace is, right? Grace is getting what we don't deserve. By attacking the problem, whatever the conflict is, by attacking the problem and not the person, we can address the sin without tearing down the sinner, right? Isn't that the way that God deals with us? When we were in rebellion, when we were stuck in our sin and destined for hell, he didn't just smite us with a lightning bolt. Christ came down to earth. God came down in the flesh to live a perfect and sinless life and then to go and sacrifice that life on the cross for our sins. Grace. When we deserved wrath, he gave us grace. And he went to the grave, and three days later, he came back to life to prove that he was God. And he is the one who communicates God's love for us, God's heart for us, through the, of his giving of himself. He communicates grace to us in everything. And he calls us to do the same with each other. 
So how do we do this? How do we talk in a way that builds up and gives grace? A couple other side notes here with some scripture for you. Number one, don't assume motives. I think this is where we get off track the quickest, is assuming that we know what the other person's thinking or feeling, why they did what they did. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? In other words, we can't truly and fully know what someone else is thinking or feeling. We might think we know. We might have a pretty good guess. If you've, been, if you've had that relationship for a long time, you might get pretty good at reading them, but you never fully know for sure. Right? Only they know and God knows. And so we need to assume the best of them and try to address the problem with them. Don't go after the motives. Go after the problem. Let them ferret out the motives with God in their own heart. Second thing I would say is don't try to be the judge. This is the other place where we really slip up on this issue. James 4.11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law but a judge. In other words... You're not the judge. Everybody point to who the judge is. Right? Come on. That's not our job. That's what James said. It's not your job to be the judge. God is the judge. Release that person to them, to him, and let him handle that. You just seek to tackle the problem, to resolve the conflict, and to communicate grace. That's our role. Now, this all sounds well and good, pie in the sky, but we all know, like, the realities in relationships is there's going to be arguments. There's going to be conflict, right? And so we need to learn how to work through that conflict in a way that is helpful and is building up and not tearing down. And so we usually do this in marriage counseling, but it's actually good for all relationships. So I'm just going to give them to you. These are our rules for fair fighting, Okay. You're going to have to fight with people. You're going to have to have conflict. It's okay. Everybody, some of y'all are like conflict avoiders. Just take a breath. You're going to be okay. All right? But here's, here's six rules that will help you process through it. All right? Number one, no 100% words. No 100% words like all or never or always. You always do that. You never do this. That's not true. No one ever always does something or never, like, we don't function like that. And when we use 100% words, we put the other person on the defensive because they feel like we're automatically accusing them of something that's not true. And so as soon as we start throwing out those 100% words, man, the communication wall just goes straight up. And the conversation's going nowhere. So the first one is no 100% words. Number two, no name-calling. Direct the attack on the problem, not the person. As soon as you start calling names, you're attacking the person. You're no longer dealing with the issue. You're attacking the person, and you are degrading and dishonoring who God made them to be in his image. No 100% words, no name calling. Number three, number three, no building sides. No building sides. When you start trying to get other people on your team and to, like, take your side, you're creating this us versus them dynamic, right? 
where now we're in opposition to one another, and that's not the goal. The goal is to be on the same team. That's what a relationship is about, is being together, right? And this goes especially in marriage, especially with family. If you have a spouse, don't start going and talking to your parents and your brothers and your sisters and all about the stuff with your spouse, because you just, of course they're going to agree with you, right? Like, you're blood, and all of a sudden you've turned your whole family against your spouse. You're like, I don't know why they don't get along. Hello? Don't build teams. This is between you and them. You don't need anybody else in on this. Okay? Number four, no bringing up the past. Once an issue has been dealt with and forgiven, it's done. We release it to the Lord. When we bring it back up and use it as ammunition in future fights, It damages the trust of the relationship that we said we forgave them, but we really didn't. And it actually says way more about your heart and your issues of unforgiveness than it does about whatever the conflict is that you're dealing with in the moment. Number five, no intimidation. This could be verbal or physical. So no tearing them down with your words. No threatening to do this or do that. No withholding something from them to try to put a pressure point on them. Um, raising the volume of your voice, raising the intensity of your voice. Definitely no hitting, kicking, slapping, throwing things, punching walls, standing over them. All that's intimidation. Has no place in a follower of Christ. God never handles us like that. We should not handle each other like that. Last one, this one applies more specifically to marriage, but no D word. Not the D word you're thinking of. Divorce. Having grown up in a, in a divorce home, in a divorce situation, I knew when I started thinking about marriage that it was the last thing that I wanted for myself, for my spouse, for my kids. So when Courtney and I first started getting serious, I sat down, we had this conversation with her. I'm like, listen, you just need to know if we get married, like divorce is not an option, okay? Murder, maybe. Divorce, no, right? Like that's just not, this is going to be forever. We're not going to talk about it. We're not going to bring it up. And listen, I know you might look at it like, well, that's the pastor and his wife, of course. And I, listen, we've had some things in our marriage that other people would have chose to leave over. That other people would have been like, no, I'm, I'm out. But we had already decided that was not an option. And so with God's grace, we worked through it. Don't talk about it. Don't joke about it. Don't threaten it when you're mad. Because once you sow those seeds of doubt into your marriage, it will tear you apart. Divorce attacks the person, not just the problem. It attacks their character. It attacks their identity. It attacks their life, their family. And friends, that's just the wrong target. 
in any relational conflict, the target is never the person. The target is the sin. They are not your enemy in this. As much as it feels like it in the moment, they are not your enemy. Satan is your enemy, and he will do anything he can to tear you apart. Don't give him any ammunition. Don't fall for it. Attack the problem, not the person. So how do I need to change the way I address conflict in my relationships? Marriage or any other relationship. I know that's specific to marriage, but all the other ones apply to the rest, okay? In any relationship, how do I need to change how I address conflict? What are you doing that's adding to the conflict rather than resolving the conflict? How can you adjust to follow God's word in that area? All right, last one, fourth principle. Look at verse 30. It says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Last one, number four, act, don't react. Act, don't react. He starts off, though, in verse 30, he says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed. In other words, he's going back to the same idea he had earlier, right? That you've all been given a new permanent identity in Christ. If you have put your faith in Jesus and you are a Christian, you have a new identity in Christ. He's like, stop acting like your old self. Start acting like your new self. You have been sealed. Start living out that identity. And he uses, again, the same language of put off and put on. He just changes the words a little bit. He says, hey, put away. Put away these things. Bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. All those things are ways that we react to sin with more sin. Right? Somebody sinned against us, okay, I'll show you. And then we react with sin of our own. He says, put that away. He says, instead, he says be or put on kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. In other words, instead of reacting to sin with sin, act in love. Act in love and grace towards that person. Micah, why would I do that? (laughs) They just sinned against me. Like, why would I respond in love? Well, he says right here, because God in Christ forgave you. It's what we've received. And therefore, it's what we give. To act like Jesus, we have to communicate love and grace, even when we're sinned against. We act in love. Now, as we tie all this together, obviously, everything I've talked about today, I, I can see it again in your faces this morning. It's hard. Right? It's a heavy weight to even kind of think through because we're like, we're sinners and we mess this up all the time. Matthew 12.34, Jesus says, For out of, the, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The reason our communication is sinful and messed up and broken is because our hearts are sinful and broken. And so if we really want to fix our communication with other people, first we have to deal with our hearts. We need his help to do that. Psalm 19.14, I love the psalmist is just so real right here in this moment. He's like, hey, Let the words of my mouth 
and the meditation of my heart, those are connected, right? The words of my mouth come from the meditation of my heart. He said, let them be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock. He's crying out for help. Like, God, help me. Help my heart so I can communicate the way that you've called me to do. If we want to act like Jesus in our relationships and our communication, we have to have his help. We can't do it on our own. None of us can. We have to be walking in Christ. So the last verse I want to give you today as we close is this. So powerful. Proverbs 18, 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. What that means is that you not just me, not just your neighbor, not just your spouse, you have the power of life and death in the way that you speak to relationships. Are you going to speak life or death into relationships in your life? What do you want to communicate? Which will you choose? Ask yourself that question. What am I speaking into my relationships? Is it life or is it death? What am I speaking into my relationships? Because God-glorified relationships require Christ-like communication. If we want our relationships to really glorify the Lord, if we want them to really be all that he's called us to, it has to start with our hearts getting right with the Lord, Right? Think about, again, how Christ communicates with us. He left heaven. He came to earth to be with us, to communicate that heart of God. He did it in truth. He did it in time. He did it in grace. He did it in forgiveness. All the things he's asking of us, he did them first. And so if we want to glorify God as well, we have to communicate like Christ. But none of us can do that on our own. We're all imperfect sinners. We're all broken people. We're never going to get it right 100% of the time. But with his help, with Jesus' help, even flawed, broken sinners like us can communicate grace, can build each other up, can grow in Christ-honoring relationships. So I want to just take a moment here. We're just going to pray. We're just going to ask Christ to come and to help us, to be in us, to be around us, to be everywhere so that we can do this for his glory in his name. Stand with me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Lord, thank you for not writing us off. Thank you for not tearing us down when we sin. Thank you for Jesus and his sacrifice to come and to communicate your love to us. Lord, we want to love like you. We want to love and communicate in a way that glorifies your name. So Lord, surround us. Come right now within us and all around us. Lord, surround us with your presence and lead us by your spirit. Help us to communicate your love in every relationship that you give us. 
all in you. Our Savior and our friend. In Christ's name we pray.